Hey, good morning and welcome church family. We are so glad that you're with us today. And if this is your first time with us, thank you so much for making us a priority. And we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by what you hear today. Today, we are in the middle of our series, Blueprint, looking at the book of First Timothy. And we've come to chapter three of First Timothy, where Paul is telling Timothy the qualifications and characteristics of elders and deacons. Now, when I say elders and deacons right away, some of you are like, oh, man, I don't need to hear this talk. I'm neither an elder nor a deacon. And I understand how you feel about that because I've grown up in church and I've heard a lot of talks about elders and deacons. But would you just do me a favor and before you click off, would you listen to this story and just see maybe from this story, you can see why it's so important that we talk about elders and deacons. So this last summer, a guy by the name of Paul Beckford got notification, surprisingly, that he had been approved to go down the main Salmon River in Idaho, a rafting trip, a boating trip, which this is hard to get the permit. He got the permit. His family got it. And so him and 16 other people decide, hey, we're going to do this. And so they start making all the preparations. They get all the supplies together. This is an 80-mile trip. This isn't a small trip. And so there's a lot of things to plan. They plan it out. They get everything together. They even contact a local company that will take their vehicles from where they put in and take them all the way down to where they're going to finish their trip. And so the day comes, the fourth, it's just 4th of July. They put everything in the river. They take off and man, they have a blast. They go down the river for six days. And at the end of six days, you're a little bit tired. You're a little bit worn out. You've gone 80 miles down the river. You've camped out each night. And so he gets to where they get back on uh, to dry land and he's getting everything together. He's worn out. And so he's quickly packing up his raft. He heads up to the road expecting to see five vehicles. But instead what he sees is one vehicle. And he says, this was like my worst nightmare come true. Here I am stranded out in the middle of nowhere. In fact, I've got a picture of what it looked like where they are. I mean, this is beautiful country, which is great. But when you're stranded with no transportation, no cell phone service, and they didn't pack extra supplies, they packed enough for the six days. And so here is 16 people with only one vehicle. And the vehicle wasn't even his. And so he goes through this process of trying to get a hold of this local company. But what he found out later was there was quite a bit of bad reviews. Here's some of the reviews on this company in all caps. Do not use this company. They will not return calls. Another person wrote Fire Festival 2022. One guy wrote that he had a vehicle tracking device, a GPS tracking device on his vehicle. He said his vehicle got up to 118 miles an hour while hauling an 18-foot trailer. He could track what they had done with his vehicle. Another one said that they put, the company put 1,400 miles on their vehicle while they had it for the week. A fourth said some of their group's vehicles had garbage in them. One had a dog in the back seat. One had a uh, dent in their bumper where it was obvious that something had hit it. One reviewer even wrote that their vehicle was completely totaled. They found it on the side of the highway. The airbags had been deployed, and it said that the rear axle had been torn free from its mounts. And they received no notification from the company, no text, no calls, no nothing. Multiple people wrote that they encouraged you to leave $100 in the vehicle to pay for fuel. But when they got their vehicle back, of course, the $100 was gone, but their fuel tanks were empty. And time after time, people had left bad reviews. And as for Beckford, it took him days to get his vehicles back. 
he started hitchhiking and another local company was coming to pick up another group of stranded people and said, hey, are you the stranded people? And offered them to give him a ride, allowed him to store his stuff in their boathouse and even offered to let them use one of his vehicles to try to locate all their vehicles. So remember, they had five to start with. One was there. They go into town and they find another one because the company said, oh, you might find one here or you might find them in another town. And so this other town was six and a half hours away. So they get rides six and a half hours away. They get to this other town and they find two of the remaining three vehicles, one of which looks like it's hauled rocks and the other one has beer and someone's blankets and towels in there. Finally, they find the fifth vehicle all the way back at where they put in. It was never moved. Now they went through all these headaches. They went through all these heartaches because they weren't really sure on who they were handing the keys of the car over to. And today, as we think about deacons and elders, and we look at the people leading our church, it's so important for us as the body of Christ, as church, that we know who we're handing the keys over as we follow them as they lead us towards Christ. And in the theme of our blueprint, it's important for us to know who's helping us build this church, who's leading us as we build this church for Christ. And it's important that our leadership is qualified, that our leadership has characteristics that honor Christ. And so Paul, when he writes this letter to Timothy thousands of years ago, he's writing to a young pastor and he's writing to a, a new church. And he's saying, hey, listen, when you're looking for deacons, when you're looking for elders, these are the things that you want to look for. But those things that he wrote just didn't qualify them. It also is still qualifications and characteristics that we look for today. So it's important that we understand this. But even beyond that, when we look at this list of characteristics, really, these are things that we want to model in our life. Even if we're not a deacon or an elder, these are things that we look at and say, hey, that's what I want my life to look like. But even more importantly, when we think about this series in 1 Timothy, when we think about Blueprint, that first week we, we made this statement, God's order will seem to be out of order in the world's eyes. And sometimes we look at these things and it seems like almost impossible. But what we have to remind ourselves is we are shaped by the ultimate builder. And he has shaped us and formed us. And he knows what we can be through him. So be encouraged. Don't be discouraged by this list, but be encouraged because God enables us to live up to these characteristics, to live up to these expectations. So before we jump into this passage today, let's just take a moment and pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for scripture. We thank you for your word that gives us guide, a guide to live by. God, we're thankful that we have letters written uh, that explain what you expect from us, not only as individuals, but also as a church. And I ask today as we uh, look at 1 Timothy chapter 3 that you would speak to us through this chapter, Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would be challenged. Lord, I ask that I would uh, say the things that you would have me to say, help my mind to stay clear and so that we can relay the truth of this passage, Lord. Lord, we love you today. We thank you that you love us, that you care about us. And I ask that what is done would bring honor to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you have a copy of the scriptures, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to flip-flop a little bit. The first qualification is that of elders. We're going to jump down to deacons and then we'll come back to elders. And when we wrap all this up, you'll see why we did that. But if you have a copy of scripture, 
1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 8 says this. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. He goes on to say this. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. He finishes with this thought. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Now, when we look at this passage, we see an incredible list of qualifications. And some of those qualifications for deacons fall over into qualifications for the elders. And we'll take, we'll look at those in just a minute. But what we want to think about here is what is a deacon? What is the meaning of the word deacon? Well, in the original Greek in which the New Testament was written, these letters were written in, the idea of deacon is a servant. And so when we think about this, when it gets down to it, a deacon is a servant. A deacon is one who leads servants. A deacon is one who leads servants. And the first place we see deacons mentioned is over in Acts chapter number six. In Acts chapter six and verse number one, it says this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists. Now, this is a group of, of Christians, a group of people following after Christ. And there's different groups, different nationalities, different beliefs that have come together in the church. And they all are in agreement. Like, this is how we should follow after Christ. They believe the gospel. And so some of the groups, though, have issues with each other. The Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. It continues in this way. And the 12 summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, who we, who we will appoint to this duty. And look how they reacted. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. So what was happening was the original apostles, the disciples, they're supposed to be preaching and teaching the word. That is what God has called them to do. And yet they're getting bogged down with the normal day-to-day -day operations of the church and helping the widows and helping the orphans and make sure everybody is where they need to be. And so they said, listen, we're, it's, this is taking us away from what we're supposed to do. So we need some help. We need some help serving. And so voila, we have the seven first deacons. And these men go out and they begin to serve. Now some of you that may have been around Miles City for a while, you say, wait a minute, this term deacon, I've heard it before in scripture, but I don't, I don't hear anybody at Miles City referred to as deacon. And, and you are correct, we don't use the term deacon, but we have deacons all over the place here at Miles City. We have those that lead servants well. They lead in the capacity of guest services lead on our crew, they lead in our kids' city, they lead in our drive student ministry. We have leaders of servants all over the place. In fact, many of our staff, myself included, fills this role of deacon as we lead servants. There are so many great men and women at our church that lead our crews that Miles City would not exist without them. 
Just a quick side note, you say, can men and women both be deacons? Well, let's look at what scripture says. In Romans 16 and verse number one, Paul's writing to the Romans and he, and he refers to a lady by the name of Phoebe and he calls her a servant. If you look in the Greek writings, in the original language, that word servant is the same word as deacon. And then in 1 Timothy, the passage we read, it had that verse that said their wives. But in the original writings, the word there wasn't there. It just said wives. And so, yes, at Mile City, we have both men and women in the role as leaders of servants. So we see what a deacon is, but let's go back to 1 Timothy and see what an elder is. 1 Timothy 3 and verse number one says this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. It goes on to say this. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He finishes off with these thoughts. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. So just as a deacon was a leader of servants, an elder is one who's a servant leader. If you notice in both those definitions, service is the main theme. And really that's what deacons and elders are to be. They're supposed to serve the church. Elders are called to lead the church under the authority of Christ. They are not the head of the church, Christ is. Miles City is not based upon our elders' leadership, upon our staff leadership, or even the leadership of Travis Whitaker. No, Miles City is based upon the leadership of Christ. We're following Christ. And these elders are supposed to lead us and care for us as they lead us in Christ. And Paul here gave this guide thousands of years ago where he gives these qualifications, where he gives these expectations of what an elder should be. Some of you say, well, elder, that term, there's other terms used in scripture. Sure enough, in Titus 1, it calls the same people overseers. And in Ephesians chapter 4, it refers to them as pastor. And we use both the term pastor and elder at Miles City. And all these qualifications, all these qualifications refer to all elders. These aren't some pick and choose things. Now, when we look at this list, what are some things that we don't see? Well, we don't see any qualification of age. Just because someone's old doesn't mean they should be an elder. And just because they're young, it doesn't disqualify them. We also don't see business success. Business success in the world doesn't equate to leadership in the church. And the last thing we don't see is likability. Elders are not just a group of men that everybody likes. But what we do see here is a list that can be broken down basically into three categories of characteristics and three categories of qualifications. And the first one is this, is the calling of an elder, the calling of an elder. First Timothy three and verse number one said this, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Many feel that calling of God on their life. For some, 
It's a lifelong call. I still remember uh, when I was at summer camp one summer when I was a young man and I can remember the feeling coming over me and the Holy Spirit working in my heart that he was calling me to ministry. He was calling me and I've never doubted that call of God on my life. Some people's call comes later on in life. Maybe it's someone having an I see and you conversation with them and maybe fanning those flames that God has planted that seed in the heart to where now it becomes a raging fire and they want to be an elder. They want to be a leader. They feel called of God to do that. But is, is calling enough? Is just feeling called enough? Well, Paul doesn't just stop at verse number one. He continues down the list and he gives a list of qualifications. In fact, Paul says not only should we see the calling, but we also should see the character of an elder. See, if God's called you, then we're gonna, the church is going to see these characteristics in your life as well. When we look at these characteristics, um, we basically can break it down into two categories. And uh, the character of an elder, it's so important because when you look at this list, almost all of this list falls under character. The character of an elder is vastly important. And when we look at it, we break it down into two areas. The first is that of disciplines. He gives a list of, he says, they should be above reproach. Nothing in their life should anyone be able to take a hold of to criticize Christ or the church. It says they should be sober-minded. This is having some sensible judgment in all things. It says they should be self-controlled, having life under control, not losing your temper. It said they should be respectable, garnering the respect of those around you. It says not a drunkard. There are several ways to interpret this. Some, obviously, you shouldn't be controlled by alcohol and the release that it, it brings. But some would even take this a step further and say, hey, elders probably shouldn't even drink because they don't want to give a place for the destruction that alcohol can bring. Then another qualification that falls under disciplines is that of being gentle. The idea of being peaceable, agreeable, easy to get along with, not quarrelsome, not looking to start fights everywhere they go, but trying to bring the peace. And then it says, not a lover of money. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money is. And as an elder, our driving force shouldn't be how much money can we make. So we see the disciplines under the character, but we also see how character relates to our relationships. It says, first of all, they should be the husband of one wife. And last week, I encourage you, if you missed that talk to watch last week's talk, we talked about how we believe that the Bible teaches elders should be men. And this husband of one wife, some would say, hey, it's a, it's, a, it's a context thing referring back to the fact that many in this day and age had multiple wives. And it could be referring to that, but some would also say that, hey, an elder should not be divorced. An elder should have one wife for a lifetime following what God's plan is for marriage. It also says that he should manage his household well. The idea of that is, does his wife and children follow him and respect him? If he can't lead his home well, how is he going to lead in the church? And then the last one is well thought of by others. Do people outside the church think well of this person? In his business dealings, is he respected? Is he, is he, is he well liked? All these things come together to form the character of an elder. All these things are important. All these things should be displayed. So we see the calling 
of an elder. We see the character of an elder, elder, but in that list, there's one more thing we see, and that's the competency of an elder. And these things maybe aren't so much to do with his character, but more about is, are these things evident in his life? Is he able to grow in these areas? Some of these things can be grown in. Some of these things can be added on or adopted. One is being hospitable. This idea is basically this word means loving the stranger. Are they hospitable to those they are leading as well as though to those that they are trying to reach? Hospitality. It says able to teach. Are they a student of God's word? Are they relaying what God is speaking to them to others well? And then the last one is not a new convert. The idea of this is there should be some spiritual maturity and growth shown in the life of an elder. This affected me personally in my life. Uh, when I was a young man, my dad was a pastor of a church in Southern California. And at the age of 29, he realized on a Sunday that a special speaker was in to speak for him that he was not saved. And he gave his life to Christ as the pastor of that church. And my dad, as he studied scripture and wanted to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading, he felt as a new convert, even though he knew scripture, he had gone to Bible college, he had done all these things, he felt like he should step down as pastor of that church. And he did. And we went to another church and he was an assistant pastor for several years, following the leadership of the spirit in his life. But we, the, the idea is here, we want to make sure that it's not someone that's just given their life to Christ so they don't get puffed up. They don't get proud. So these groups of qualifications are something that comes from growth in an elder's life. Elders should have these things developing in their life. They should be displaying these things in their life. And Paul places such a premium on these qualifications. And the reason he does that is these qualifications are God's expectations. These things just aren't something that, ah, you, you, you can display these if you want. No, these are what God expects to be evident in the life of an elder. Does that mean elders will be sinless and never make mistakes? Of course not. We all know that elders are human and they're going to make mistakes and they're going to, there's going to be things that they do. But just like God extends grace to us, we need to extend grace sometimes to these elders. They aren't always going to get it right. But these characteristics should be evident in their life. And really when it comes down to us saying, is someone qualified to be an elder? If they fit the criteria of what we see here, the question we need to ask ourselves is what will happen if the church imitates this leader? What will happen if the church imitates this leader? And that's a good litmus test along with this passage to say, hey, yes, this person qualifies to be an elder. And what's so encouraging for us at Mile City is the group of elders that we have at our church. We have a picture of them right here. And if we look here, this is Jim and Cindy Cooper. This is Larry Kipp with his wife, Sandy. This is Dennis Bishop with his wife, Pam. And down here we see Bob Daniels with his wife, Mary. We're missing Jay Morton and his wife, Lisa. And then over here we see Travis and Jen. You say, is Travis an elder? Yes, Travis is an elder. He's our lead elder. He leads our elder team, but Travis is an elder. These qualifications, these characteristics need to be evident in Travis's life, just like they are evident in these men's lives. And I can say from experience that I've prayed with these men. These men have prayed with me and over me. And these men are pursuing God with their lives. And they're displaying these qualities, these characteristics in their life. And I want to encourage us as a church body that we need to pray for these men daily. 
And we're thankful that we have elders in our church. When Miles City began, when it was a new church, we had an external elder board. And as we've grown, we've been able to look at those in our church and draw them out to become an internal elder board. You say, how does someone become an elder at Miles City? Well, becoming an elder means someone else seeks you out. There has to be agreement by these men on this board, unanimous agreement that, hey, this is someone that should be a leader of our church. This is someone that should qualify as an elder. And so this isn't something that we take lightly, but we do constantly pray for God to bring us the right men to lead our church. Now we come to the end of this passage and some are saying, okay, again, what does this mean to me? I'm not a deacon. I'm not an elder. And, and you say, yes, I agree that the people that the men that are leading our church and the people that are leading our church, they need to have these qualities. They need to have these characteristics in our life. But when we look at this passage, really, all of us should have these things in our life. Let's be honest, these qualities, these characteristics, we all should strive for. Believe it or not. God has placed a call on every one of our lives. Second Timothy one and verse number nine says this, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. First Peter two and verse number nine says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10 says this, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God has placed a call on every one of our lives. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, what is God calling me to? What is God calling me to? What does he want me to do? Maybe he wants me to be a better leader in my business and my family. Maybe he wants me to teach the next generation. Maybe he wants me to be the best employee that I can. Whatever God has called us to, he doesn't call us all to full-time ministry. He doesn't call us all to be elders or deacons, but God has a call on our life. And time and time again in scripture, he makes that call clear. He calls us to live holy lives. So what is God calling you to today? We think about what is he calling us to. Think about these characteristics. We'd want them evident in our life. Paul wrote in another book to some believers in Colossae in Colossians 3 and verse number 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. He continues this list though. and says, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. When we look at this passage, the question that comes to mind is, is my life a model of the character of Christ? Am I modeling the character of Christ in my life? Not only does God call me to something, am I pursuing that call in my life, but am I modeling his character? When people see me, do they see Christ's character in my life? Do I show up 
with an attitude of love and humility and grace. When I go to work tomorrow, what are people going to see? When I'm around my family, do they see me modeling Christ in my life? And then when it comes to competency that we want to find in elders and areas that they can grow in, really when we think about it, what area do I need to grow in? What area do I need to grow in? What area in my personal or professional life? Maybe it's time to take that class so that I can qualify that for that promotion at work. Maybe it's time to turn off the TV and spend time with my kids. Maybe it's time to turn off the TV or get off my phone and listen to my wife as she talks to me. What about my spiritual life? What area do I need to grow in there? How's my daily encounter growing? Am I just spending five minutes a day hoping that's going to get me through the day? Or am I growing? What am I learning from what I read in Scripture? Am I having personal worship with God? If all that you get is what you see online or what you experience in the church weekly, that's not enough. What areas do we need to grow in? Maybe you hear this today and you say, you know what, those are good things. Those are things that should be evident in my life, but maybe today you're not a Christ follower. And I have to say to you, this list isn't for you. In fact, honestly, this list is pretty much impossible without Jesus. These things sound good, but our flesh, man, we're, it's going to let us down all the time. And maybe you sat through today and you say, yeah, those are some things that I would like to be evident in my life. I want to be a better person, but this list is so much more than just being a better person. This list is modeling what Christ has done for us and wants to do through us. And today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you don't have a personal relationship with him, because that personal relationship is what enables you to have these things evident in your life. And if you don't have that relationship with him today, today you can begin that relationship. See, in our life, what separates us, what breaks that relationship is sin. Things that we do contrary to God's will for our life. And that sin causes separation. And because of that sin, a penalty has to be paid. God loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for our sin, but he just didn't die and stay dead. Three days later, he rose again from the dead so that he could have a relationship with us, so that he could show he has power over sin and death. And if you want these things evident in your life, the only calling that you need to worry about is the calling that God is making to you right now to come into a relationship with him. And if that is your desire today, if you say, hey, I want these things evident in my life, the first thing you need to do is submit to the calling of God on your life. Scripture teaches us that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It teaches us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if that is your desire today, would you just do me a favor? Would you just take a moment and bow your head and, and say, this to, say this to God. Say, God, I want to thank you for sending your son Jesus. I want to thank you for his sacrifice, his death on the cross, and for his resurrection from the dead three days later. And today, I want to lower my pride. I want to repent. I want to turn from my sin. I want to put my trust in you and only you. 
Thank you, Jesus, for paying for my sins. Now, God, we thank you for those that gave their life to you. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made. God, we're grateful that when we have this relationship with you, that these qualities, these characteristics can be evident in our life. That when the world looks at us, they see something different. They see something attractive. They see something that they're missing. God, I ask that you would encourage those that made this decision today to pursue their relationship with you. And for those of us that know you as our Savior, Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, help us to lower our pride, to live a humble life that seeks these things, these characteristics, these qualities in our life as well. In your name we pray, amen. Now, if you made that decision today, we would love to celebrate that decision with you. And if you gave your life to Christ today, if you would just do me this favor, if you would text the word Mile City to the number that you see on the screen, one of our pastors, probably me, or one of our other pastors will give you a call this week. We'll follow up with you. We'll encourage you in any way that we can. We'll pray with you. We'll answer any questions that you might have. We are so glad that you made a decision to have a relationship with Jesus Christ today. And for the rest of us, as we go this week, Let's pursue the call that God has on our life. Let's display the character of Christ in our life and let's look for the areas that we need to grow in and make an effort to grow. Have a great week.